Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. We're still working through reactions to President Trump's military strike along with a host of listener feedback. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So before we get started, I wanted to let everyone know that we've got a new little feature on our website. If you sign up for our newsletter, our weekly email newsletter, you get a free international edition of Pantsuit Primer audiobook. So I've collected all our international primers and the two primers we sort of did within episodes on Russia and FISA and put them all together in a little Google Drive so you can listen at your leisure. And if you sign up for our email list, which is already awesome in itself. We share what we've been reading that week and what we're interested in. We usually share a a piece of listener feedback and then obviously links to the show. You get this um, little extra bonus content. So you can head on over to Pantsuit Politics and sign up. And also, we wanted to give you a heads up with regards to the Pantsuit Primers that they will not be in our feed forever. We are working on a new membership drive. And as part of that, the primers will only be within our feed for about a week. And then we will remove them because they will be a sort of added benefit to our membership drive. So just get those primers now while you can. 
Or just sign up to have them forever. That's exactly. That's know, even better. An even better option. Um, those are just really difficult to create. They take a lot of time for us. And so um, we want to keep sharing them with everyone for free, but we also want to um, have them out there as a benefit to people who make that investment in us. And we really appreciate it. So we got some feedback on our environmental regulations discussion. Eva said that she was sorry to hear that it was difficult for my family to keep up with environmental regulations with respect to our farm. But she said, the problem is we have a culture where everyone thinks they are exception to the rule and everyone thinks that their small amount of waste won't matter and everyone has to put other burdens like keeping costs low in order to stay competitive. If someone doesn't decide to be the bad guy and say we can't keep doing what we are doing if we want our ecosystem functioning and have things like clean water, breathable air, and a high standard of living for our grandchildren, then nothing will change. I understand the arguments about voluntary choice, but there are already so many factors that tip business owners' hands in favor of not safeguarding the environment that we need programs to help keep future safety from getting lost in the noise. And I think I want to say that I don't strongly disagree with anything that Eva has said here. My point was less feel sorry for my family farm and others like us than do regulations always meet the objective that they're setting out to make? And I would submit that environmental policy is not always the only or even most effective way to get to environmental issues. I was having a conversation with someone this morning about infrastructure and how really uh, changing our infrastructure in the United States could be the most effective environmental policy that we have. So I'm not anti-regulation altogether, as I, I tried to say in the discussion that I had with Dante, but I am against regulation for the sake of regulating. It's, it's sort of how some people responded to my sense of we should do something on Syria, and we'll talk more about that in a second. I think sometimes envir- environmental regulations are in that spirit of do something when I'm not always sure that it's the most effective thing we could be doing. I don't know, Sarah, if you had a reaction to that conversation. I mean, I really agree. She articulated something that we've had conversations about on the show before, which is, I think a big reason I am a progressive or a Democrat or a liberal or whatever label you would like to place on me is because I have real concerns about the tragedy of the commons. And while I do think that there are places in which the market adjusts, I do not think the market is a total solution to the problems that plague a society such as tragedy of the commons. And I think that we have to have outside regulation and government oversight to prevent just those kind of problems. And while I do not think that government oversight and regulation are always a perfect solution to the problem, I have yet to see it's the one I guess I trust the most. I just at the end of the day, really don't think that the market is a even really good tool (laughs) for people doing the right thing or protecting our resources. Or I think, you know, something we've talked about a lot is sort of people are irrational animals. And, you know, corporations striving for a profit can act irrationally, too. And I really bugs me that there's this idea that like corporations are just like the height of rationality and everybody, we just need a big CEO because that's really where all the rational thinking happens. I don't think so. I don't really think that's how it works. Like, I think that corporations knew smoking was bad for you and kept shilling cigarettes. And I think corporations knew Oxycontin was being improperly uh, prescribed and kept shilling it anyway. So, and, you know, that's not that I think they're evil, but I do think that when you're driven by profit, that sometimes the market exploits these weaknesses within our system and the weaknesses within our reasoning like tragedy of the commons instead of addressing it. 
I feel like that is the fundamental difference between the two of us. You trust the government more and I trust private actors more. And I think you're more wary of profit as a driver and I'm more wary of power as a driver. And why we often come to something that we can both live with is we both realize that there are elements of truth and falsity and and no perfection on either side, right? Absolutely. So we also had Katie write in and say, do you really talk to your kids about politics? I'm so hesitant having an anxious kiddo as to what we should share or discuss. So yeah, I, I guess I should say that I talk to my kids about politics, but I do not actively talk to my kids about the news. I don't, uh, we don't have a TV on all the time. My kids don't see the news. Um, to my, like, there are constant sort of conversations in their schools about Trump and about, there is about Clinton, but there's not like sort of this instant processing of news story. I think that's a lot to do with the changing media conceptions of millennial parents in that we don't have cable. My house, we don't ever, ha- we don't have the TV on as far as like news. Now I do listen to NPR in the car, but sort of, there's really not this, I, this, we're processing the news all the time. So we talk about issues and policy in sort of an abstract sense. But I wouldn't say that we, I don't, you know, sort of expose, expose my kids to a lot of anxiety inducing news events, I guess is what I would say. I do talk to Jane, my six-year-old, about the news because we do watch the news. And I mean, it's not like we sit and discuss it in depth or that we discuss everything. But if she's in the room and sees something and has a question, and I can see that her interest and attention is there for a second, I answer those questions. And it's kind of just the the philosophy that we talked about with Tish of we want to answer any questions that our kids have, right? And when we we go to some kind of event where she has a question about what we're doing, we talk about it. And I don't think that – I don't think that she or – or we are served by dodging hard and scary things. There was a commercial that was running for a long time on MSNBC, which we watch in the mornings, about natural disasters. And something about that commercial captivated my daughter's imagination. And it was like a very scary commercial. Ambulances and flooding and, you know, cars floating in water. And and she would always ask me questions about it. And I was worried that she was going to have nightmares about this commercial. I think talking about it actually had the opposite impact because we talked about these are emergencies and those are the community helpers that come in to help with the emergencies. And it's just like at your school, you practice for a tornado drill. These things can happen, but we get ready for them and we work through it. So I don't know that I have any great advice, um, especially if if you have a a child who presents, you know, every child is different, right? So if you have an anxious kid, I I'm sure that what you say might be different than what I might say to Jane, but we keep it short and we keep it real. Yeah, I think the keeping it short is clear. Don't ask, don't ever in life, but particularly with kids, answer questions that people aren't asking you. Ask, answer what they're asking you. That's a good, that's just a good life strategy. I've seen a lot of very smart people use that strategy um, much to their own benefit. So with kids, it's the same way. Like, just don't answer what they're not asking you. Keep it simple. Keep it light. You know, you don't want to make them feel that you're not in control or that you don't understand what's going on. And I mean, you I, nobody is a as good a I don't like to use the word expert because I don't actually think people are experts in their own kids. I think child development experts are experts. But, um, you know, you know your own kid. So and you can say you don't know something and still project a lot of confidence. Like when Donald Trump won the election, 
you know, Jane knew that we had concerns about that. And she said things like, is this going to be terrible? And I would say, I don't know, Jane. But but I said it in a way that didn't scare her. Right. And I think a lot of it is just the mood that you project more than the words that you say. Oh, I did not handle the Donald Trump thing. Griffin had a fall apart. He was crying. It was bad. Because I was just like, he's not going to win. It doesn't matter. He's terrible. He'll never win. That was not. Learn from me. That was not the right approach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've we've said a hundred times if one to Jane. Uh, we're kind of worried about this, Jane, but it's a big country and a strong country and there are lots of people in the government and maybe he'll do a good job and we sure hope so because he's our president and we just move on. Moving so, on is yeah. always the great, the, the good thing. <laughs> well, and moving on to more talk about Trump. Alice sent us a really great article from Glenn Greenwald at The Interceptor. And Glenn Greenwald, I looked him up. He is not a sort of fly by the seat of your pants blogger. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. He's the Snowden guy. Yeah, he's a Snowden guy. I didn't know. I had to Wikipedia him. But I really liked this article. It was sort of, what was it called? The, the, to the victor goes the spoils or sort of like all the benefits that Trump has reaped from the missile strike on Syria and sort of walked through the way in which We're very hawkish, both sides of the aisle. You're not left with a lot of options if you don't support strikes. The Washington establishment and the mainstream media really began to support Trump and was sort of fawning. And he, again, uh, Glenn Greenwald, again, praised Obama's approach and standing up to this sort of how much everybody loves to go to war kind of thing. I just thought it was really interesting and a really different perspective. We'll put it in the show notes. He makes 10 points about what's just happened. And I found a lot to agree with and a lot to disagree with strongly. Um, Should we just walk through those points, Sarah? Do you want to do that? Sure. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. 
It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So he started with the premise that a new war will always strengthen Trump as a new war strengthens every leader. I think that's accurate. I think that is accurate. I also think it's a little dramatic because I don't think this is a new war. And he sort of acknowledges as he talks more about this that this strike was... We've been bombing lots of places in the Middle East for a long, long time without anyone calling it a war and that this is only different in that it was a direct hit at the Assad regime instead of purportedly at at ISIS or Al-Qaeda. So again, I just I'm not ready to say that Trump went to war in Syria because he took a very limited action to signal that we're not going to tolerate chemical weapons being used. But isn't that more a reflection of the changing sort of, what's the word I want, like the change in reality of war itself? Absolutely. I mean, yes. it, even if we're constantly at war, that doesn't make it less war. You know what I mean? Like, just because we constantly do it doesn't make it any less an act of violence or aggression against another nation, which is, I mean, I don't know how bombing another nation isn't an act of aggression at the very least you know I like think it's we an did- act of ag- aggression absolutely yeah so and i i think that the line between aggression and war is probably pretty thin and i know war is a weighty word but i think his point is that you know taking that action against another nation it's like it it triggers something in all of our animal brains in which we want to be the aggressor we want to be the one asserting the being right and taking the action and making a difference no, I mean, no matter how you view it I think that's true. I guess I'm just not ready to make the leap of, and so that must have been the motivation, which was a which was a little bit what was insinuated here that Trump, at the very least, is going to react so positively to the positive coverage of Trump that he's going to be more aggressive in the future. Yeah, but which I think could, that's probably true. I mean, he does love some praise. That guy. It could be true. It's so weird. This, um, especially as you see media outlets directly trying to manipulate Donald Trump now because they know that he's so interested in media coverage. Okay, so Glenn Greenwald's second point. Democrats' jingoistic rhetoric has left them no ability or desire to oppose Trump's wars. And he talks about how the Democratic Party has wrapped themselves, this is a quote, wrapping themselves in extremely nationalistic and militaristic rhetoric. I'm going to push back on the nationalistic, but I think the militaristic is on point. I mean, we were at the DNC. Remember how they made all the, they marched all the military generals out and there were all the flags and we, and there was like all this narrative online about, well, the Democrats are now the military party and the Democrats have retaken this. We defend and we go out and we make right in the world kind of thing. I think that's probably pretty on point. Oh, 
Obama getting Osama bin Laden, right, was a prevalent theme at the DNC and throughout the Obama presidency. So I think that's true. And we talked on the show about specifically about how Hillary Clinton's foreign policy probably wouldn't be that different from a mainstream Republicans Mm -hmm. foreign policy. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we all need to say there's so much criticism today of Trump for all of the positions that he's changed in the past 80 days or so. I think we've got to acknowledge that some of that is because he's learning things that he didn't know when he was on the campaign trail. And you mean all the things, all the things. Right. And and look, is that opportunistic? Probably. I don't care, though, if we're getting closer to things that more of us can accept than what he was saying on the campaign trail, I'll take it. Okay, the third point is, in wartime, U.S. television instantly converts into state media, which I thought was a fascinating point and really wanted to hear your take on, Sarah. No, I agree. I mean, it's I remember now, I don't think that, um, yeah, I would say mainstream media, yeah, definitely the television. Like, a bunch of the people I follow on Twitter, when he points out the Fareed Zakaria on the serious strikes that I think Donald Trump became president of the United States last night, which is gross, the idea that you only become president when you bomb something, and a terrible take. But, like, that's just this kind of stuff that plays on cable news and the like. And so, yeah, I do. I think that they... They love it. They love the imagery, and they... And I don't think that they feel like... It's sort of what we talk about a lot. In television, it's like the only thing they would think that you can be nuanced. Well, they really care about being neutral. I think it's more important to be nuanced. But they think the only way to be neutral is to have sort of reflect both sides. But so when both sides line up for war or some sort of military action in this way, it's like they don't know what to do. They're like, oh, well, we're mar- this is great. Everybody, we're going to be going to war. You know what I mean? Like they don't it's like they don't know what to do. I think it's just the drama of it, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives them something to fill airtime with. I thought Brian Williams comments that everyone was tweeting about where he said that something about how beautiful those missiles were. I mean, that's just somebody who's filling airtime and saying stupid shit. And yeah. I don't I don't know what else to say about it. OK, his fourth point, Trump's bombing is illegal, but presidents are now omnipotent. And I 100 percent agree with this point where he would. is saying, yeah, that the presidency has consolidated too much power and Congress has abdicated their responsibilities. And so it wasn't new, but it's not how it should be. Right. And I thought he did a good job. You know, he praises Obama and other parts, but he talks about like, Obama did this. He just went right ahead, even when they did not expressly authorize the strikes in Libya. Obama was like, I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to do it under this and this and this, and like just justified it. I mean, I think that's, it would be difficult to argue under any circumstances, but particularly in foreign policy, that there hasn't been an expansion of presidential power. It made me think a little bit about how I put the fault for this in two of our three branches, because I think that both the executive and legislative branches share responsibility for this consolidated consolidation of power in the executive. But then I kind of got myself into law school mode of how could the judicial branch limit this power and who would have standing to bring a claim like that? And has that happened at all? And so that's probably a research rabbit hole that I'm going to go down at some point. Okay, the fifth point, how can those who view Trump as an inept fascist now trust him to wage war? I had a very strong reaction to this question, because I feel like it ignores the fact that Trump is not in the White House by himself doing these things. He does have a team of people around him. Well, I mean, I don't I don't think the yeah, but some of them are inept fascists, too. Although my favorite inept fascist, Steve Bannon, seems like he's on the way out. Side note. Um, I think that 
you know, I get your point, but I, I think his point is strong too, which is if you think this man is a threat to all things democratic, then this shouldn't make you feel any differently, even if you think Assad is a monster. Well, I think that's right. And and I guess that's where I feel like you can hold both of those positions. It's to say I would have perhaps made the same decision as Donald Trump doesn't mean. And so now I think Donald Trump's great. Forget everything. You know, like it's it, it's one. I feel like we're, we've lost the ability to compartmentalize in a helpful way. <laughs> we're not endorsing Donald Trump by saying that we agree with this action. And, and I don't think that that should be put upon Democratic leaders either. Okay, like all good conspiracy theories, no evidence can kill the Kremlin controls Trump tale. And if you follow Glenn Greenwald, he has been very critical for a long time of the coverage of possible connections between Trump and Russia. So that's kind of an interesting, unexpected element of of this analysis. Well, and I think that he is, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think there's enough there. This is not Pizzagate. Dude, did you see where Carter Page was? Um, they saw under that Pfizer surveillance. under Pfizer yeah. surveillance. Yeah. So come on, y'all. That's that's not nothing. It's it's not nothing. It also doesn't mean that Vladimir Putin has like a direct line to Trump and is telling him what to do every day. Right. right. There are shades of how this could play out, and and maybe that's some of what he's saying too. Well, and he talks a little bit at the beginning, I think, about how Justin Trudeau was saying that we should investigate whether or not that part, we kind of skipped over that part. And I meant to say, like, that really stuck with me, not because I don't think that Syria and Russia could lie about the source of these attacks. But there was just something about when I read that, that my brain went, well, it doesn't make any sense that Assad would launch chemical attacks at this point. And that's something we said. So what if it doesn't make sense? Because maybe he didn't do it. I mean, I still I read the deep classified briefing, the classified information about that. And I still fall in the camp of he did it because he's done it before and a lot of reasons. But, you know, it really doesn't. And again, not that we should ascribe reason to somebody like Assad. But when he said that and he thought like, well, we we don't know. And we've adopted this this hard line of, of course, he did it. And Russia and him are lying. But we're done. We're not even going to consider anything, any other evidence. I mean, it is something that we as human beings and definitely sort of group think tend to engage in. We go down this path like we did with after 9-11 and nobody's willing to say, but wait, what if we're wrong? I agree with that. I think it's a strong and important point. And I think Assad has done enough to have a clear position on Assad, regardless of the use of chemical weapons in this last attack. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think even without it, I I was moving in the direction I was in the direction of we should we should do something in Syria, which is something that Glenn Greenwald is critical of. And I, I take his criticism, but we'll get to that point in just a second. So <laughs> number seven is the fraud of humanitarianism works every time for and on American elites. I think that's accurate. I think that's accurate. I also think it's this doesn't have to be pure. So Glenn, so Glenn Greenwald is making the point that you never go to war about a humanitarian cause. You go to war as a country because you think there's something to be gained from it. Yeah, and he points to Federalist number four. It says, warned us, nations in general will make war whenever they have a prospect of getting anything by it. I mean, yeah, I don't think people, even in the biggest humanitarian crisis of our time, even in you know, during the Holocaust, people were doing it for specific reasons. They weren't just trying. And, be- and we know that because we let it go on for so dang long. 
Number eight is support for Trump's bombing shows two toxic U.S. conceits. Do something and look strong. This was my favorite point. It was a good point. Do you want to read the quote? Totally right about that. Yeah, he says, but sometimes the U.S. lacks the ability to solve other problems. Often having the U.S. drop bombs exacerbates suffering rather than alleviates it. As upsetting as it is to accept, sometimes doing nothing is the least bad of all the options. Again, if humanitarianism really were the motive, there were many, many things the U.S. could do besides bombing Syria and killing civilians, such as giving refuge and humanitarian aid. But the idea that a war can be justified by appealing to the vague imperative that we must do something is incredibly irrational and immoral. And this is where he like, I think there's just a deep part of me. This is going to reveal my partisanship and also the fact that, I, I, I mean, it appeals to my nuanced belief that if something is hard and doesn't make sense, that doesn't mean because we don't have the right answer. It means that maybe there just isn't an answer. And I think as incredibly difficult as that is to accept with Syria, you know, and I was the one who started out firm. I'm like, we should do something like maybe we just can't do anything. And it also plays into my deep partisanship and love for Barack Obama in that I believe to my core that that if that man could do something to prevent these humanity if he I feel like Obama knew way more than all of us and he's very smart and he's very analytical and he said doing nothing is the like the the, our best option I think he took the best path and I think when he says that's my proudest moment that I stood up and said no I'm not gonna do what everybody will make everybody feel better because it won't actually make the situation better And I mean, I think that really, it just struck me as sort of having a deeper and harder truth behind it. I think that that could well be. It it doesn't, I agree with the assertion that the United States military cannot and should not try to solve every problem in the world. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with that. Yeah, because the underlying assumption is that military can solve every problem. A military solution is always a solution or a solution at all. And I think it's not. I also come back to the point that we've talked to death, so I won't spend time on it, of aren't there situations where the United States, as the the strongest military power in the world, has an obligation to come in and help when people are being treated as these folks are being treated? And understanding the point that Glenn Greenwald and others in history will show, countries rarely do take military action unless there is some benefit for those countries. I yeah, the humanitarianism said, I mean, still works on about me. it. You just use the word help. <laughs> yeah. But if yeah. it won't help, it's such a hard. We don't want to think that we don't want to think as America, we can't do anything to help the situation. That is so antithetical to everything we tell ourselves, especially in a post World War Two world. We tell ourselves that we can do something and that it will be it will improve the situation, despite mountains of evidence to the contrary that when we do something it makes it worse like we don't help like and it's when he said that I'm like oh my god he's so right and we don't want to think that we don't want to think especially I think in our global environment where we feel so connected and we know what's going on and there's listen I'm a millennial I always want to I want to push I want to ask but like in this case I wonder if the pushing and the asking is in the form of should we not should is doing nothing the best option and to some of the points that that Greenwald makes Sometimes we could help, but we stop short of helping. Or we don't want to help in that way. We yeah, want to we drop d- those beautiful bombs. 
Well, or we drop the bombs and then we don't want to hang around and help rebuild afterward, right? right? Like we, we get fatigued with it. And that's part of where I kept struggling with the theme of this article that a president is made so much stronger by military action, because I think that's true for a very limited window of time. Yeah, that is true. That's a good point. But think about George W. Bush. I mean, that that does not hold true forever. And that's Mm. something that Trump should be very mindful of, too. But again, I, I would hate to think that any of these people acted are acting out of their approval rating kind of motivation. Okay, so then we're on number nine. Obama's refusal to bomb Assad hovers over everything, which I think we just discussed pretty well. Yeah, we just covered And then number 10, none of this disproves, obviously, that Hillary Clinton was also a dangerous hawk. And this is where he talks about how she's explicitly endorsed this type of action. And so um, people who are kind of saying it would be different or better if Hillary Clinton were in office right now, this is a weird place to talk about that. Straight talk. I love Hillary Clinton, but she is a hell of a hawk. She is. There's no denying it. And I remember on This American Life, they did this like other. So we're going to listen to both sides, like this sort of theme. And they had these two soldiers who are really good friends. And he was supporting Trump and she was support. He was the other one was supporting Clinton. They were both men. And they but they both were like, well, who's more likely to send us a war? And without hesitation, they both said Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and now I'm wondering, like, I don't know. I mean, who knows at this point? But I, I mean, I think that that. It's true. And I what well, and I think at it there was a point in time where you could argue that Trump was more anti war because he was America first, but since he's already thrown that clear out the window, I don't really know if that's all the case. And he's seriously ramping things up with North Korea, which makes me super nervous. So I don't know if that's true anymore. Well, I think there is a reason that Hillary Clinton and John McCain and Lindsey Graham And the establishment that Glenn Greenwald refers to frequently in this piece all come to some of the same conclusions. And it's not that I think we trust them without any questions about it. But I also think we have to realize that when you get a certain level of information, you're going to have a different perspective than we have sitting on our couches at home watching this. But can I be honest? Like, is it just information? Like, I already feel myself reacting like this in my teeny tiny little row as a Paducah City Commissioner. But there is a thing that happens in your brain when you're in the room where it happens or the seat where it happens or whatever, where you think, well, I have to do something. I'm the one here and I have to stop this or prevent this or help this or do something. And I do think that Barack Obama's gift was realizing that sometimes I was put in that position to make a difficult decision and to do nothing. Like, but I don't think that um, traditionally doing nothing is something that people in those in those roles ever think is really available to them for a lot of complex reasons and not just politically, ex, you know, political expedience, but also because like it just it's like this psychological thing that you get like that you just get in there and you're like, well, I have to do something because I have all these people th- depending on me and it, you just get into this sort of cycle. And so I can see where that happens. It doesn't make their reasoning any better because I don't think it is. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. 
Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We also heard from Megan, who wrote a very kind message to us and said, the focus of nuance on your show brings a level of acceptance to the table that is so hard to find in our world right now. Acceptance of other opinions and acceptance of those who hold differing opinions. We need more acceptance as a human race. The article speaks of something similar when it speaks of love. And she sent us an article that we'll put in our show notes that was um, a really interesting take as well. Yeah, it was really great. And what it reminded me of is something I talked about um, when I was listening to Krista Tibbetts on Being um, audiobook that she says this makes this great point about in the 20th century, we really push for the value of tolerance. And it was all about tolerance and making, you know, but it's sort of tolerance is 
really not what we need. We don't need some sort of begrudging, like, I'll make space for you, I guess. That's not, it's not, it doesn't go far enough with the demands of our global world and the challenges we face, I think is her point. And I tend to agree with it. And I think this is the point that Megan in this article is sort of working through too, which is we need love. We don't, and I, I mean, to just go right into the hippy dippy situation, like it's not enough to just tolerate each other and it's not enough to just tune each other out. Like we have to do the hard work of finding space to love someone who seems antithetical to what we believe in and to, because I think it, it speaks to not only sort of our misuse of the word tolerance, but our um, misunderstanding about what love really means. Like, you know, I think that the space for love and loving kindness is not I accept how you think or I won't try to prevent the damage you in- inflict or any of those things. It just means that you acknowledge this, it, that there is a space in your life and in sort of your thinking about other people for the connectedness with one another and with the that we're still all human beings and we're all still connected by our um, shared status as human beings and just allowing space for people to be different and space can mean a lot of things just like you can love I mean if you've ever been a parent there's a lot of love wrapped up with people who little people in particular who act in ways that you find completely abhorrent but you still love them (laughs) I see your hippy dippiness and raise you a little um (laughs) new age kind of (laughs) coaching because the, the thing that I was thinking of as you were saying that is I think you're right that we've confused love with adoption like, mm-hmm. I can't make space for you unless we totally agree on everything. Right. right. And and I think that that is because we have gotten so attached to our beliefs, especially our political beliefs, as unshakable, inviolable principles instead of understanding that beliefs are just thoughts that we think over and over and over again. Well, and it becomes a part of our identity as opposed to our identity being a loving human being first, not a Democrat first, not a, you know, member of the resistance first. Like the identity that I hold most important to myself is sort of or what I what I strive for is my identity as a connected member of the human race. You know, like it's sort of what I can. I might change my mind about the rest of it. You never know. I did before. So and, you know, I can the relationships in my life can change even it's you know so it's just that that part of yourself that is unchangeable and that you share with no matter what you know I share my identity as a member of the human race with Steve Bannon I just do we are here (laughs) we are connected in that we are both members of the human race, no matter what I want to tell myself. And also... I was going to use Milo What's-His-Name, but I can't ever pronounce his last name. So Steve Bannon was my next best atrocious person. We've also sworn him off. So I think that's good that you went with Bannon. I think the other thing is, I don't need... Like, part of being able to do that is recognizing, I don't have all the answers, and I could be totally wrong. You know, there are lots of things where I'm positive that I'm wrong on them, right? And I'm not positive about those specific things, 
But it can't be that all of the things I believe, if they were come to fruition, would work out perfectly. And some things are right and wrong, and some things are just effective and not effective for a time. And I think more things fall into that bucket than the right and wrong bucket. And I just think we've gotten so wrapped around these ideas that, like, everything I think is truly fundamental to who I am. And it's just not for me. I care a lot about the things you and I talk about. We spend hours and hours and hours reading and thinking and talking about this stuff, right? So I care deeply. Also, if everything I ever say on this podcast turns out to be wrong or something that I shake my head at when I'm in my 50s, that's okay. Like, hopefully that means that I've learned and grown and changed. And I don't think I'm any less because of that. And I think that's why we're able to do this. Well, and when I try to sort of always uses my guiding light, what I find to be one of my fundamental values as a person and is really a part of my identity as Sarah Stewart Holland is I've told the story before, but I heard Helen's sister Prejean, wait, sister Helen Prejean, the nun who did uh, Dead Man Walking at Transy. Were you there for that speech? I was there for that speech. Oh, so good. And she said at this moment, she talks about how she met these guys and she was always sort of kind of surprised that they didn't tell her why they were in jail. Like, that's like a thing you don't talk about in jail. You don't talk about why you're there. And she said, I'll never forget it. She said, and I thought, well, I didn't, I don't sit down with people and tell them the worst thing I've ever done the first time I meet them. And it sort of just encapsulated this idea of like, we are not our actions and we are certainly not one action. And I think... You know, I was and I'm in this little progressive women's group from Paducah and people are like, I just don't know what to think about Nikki Haley. She seems so smart and capable, but she works for Trump. So I think I should hate her. And I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> Do we have to be like that? Like, we're not, I don't want to be judged by one thing. And so I can't do that to somebody else. I can't, even if it is a vote for Donald Trump, even as accepting a job from Donald Trump, like human beings are complex and we all deserve the benefit of the doubt to not be reduced to one thing. Like, that's just not fair. We also don't have to rate everything in our lives or everyone. Like, you don't have to stake out a position on Nick, Nikki Haley. Yeah. You don't. You just and, bet, let Nikki Haley be Nikki Haley. That's okay, too. And that's how I feel about the Trump presidency. Am I enthusiastic about this? No. Do I have deep concerns about him? Yes. If I were on the Senate Intelligence Committee, I would be crawling all over him. And I'm just going to let his presidency unfold and take one thing at a time and try to look at each situation because I don't, I don't have to rate Donald Trump as awful or amazing. I don't have to rate him at all. You know, I <laughs> there's a person in my life who I love very, very much. But this person has to think everything is wonderful or terrible. All <laughs> things are either wonderful <laughs> or terrible. <laughs> and I just look at so many of the things this person says that kind of stuff about and think, like, you don't, you could just ignore Skittles. You could just ignore this commercial. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't have to get all invested in everything. We can stop. And there are sayings that are just mediocre. Like or just neutral. Space. Just yeah, like, just allow space to be space for things to be neutral. <laughs> yeah. Just here on this planet with me. I'm I don't have to have any kind of judgment about it. I got a lot of people in my life that are just I'm neutral on. Like yeah. I don't want them to like live in my house, but I don't want them to like be exterminated either. More so than not, honestly, I'm neutral about the people around me. I heard a I do like once. to form an opinion. I wouldn't describe myself as a neutral human being. <laughs> but you have to allow some that neutral is a space to be defended as well. Well, I'll tell you what has made me this way. 
I heard a preacher once say, I think I was in high school when I heard this, that a secret to knowing if you're in a good relationship or not is whether you laugh often and not at the expense of other people. Mm. And I thought that was such amazing advice and also definitely not a descriptor of my relationship at that time. Oh, and man, that's a bummer, though. I have a pretty good marriage. Nicholas and I spend a lot of time at laughing at other people. Don't judge me, y'all, but it's just true. We're I'm not judging snarky. you. But I did. We're a little bit snarky. I did find myself thinking like, wow, what a great way to frame this up. And and Chad and I, especially over the past four or five years, have really gotten away from like any kind of gossip or, you know, ugliness about the people around us because we're just happier when we're sort of neutral. Like, well, they're doing their thing. Live and let live, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I, I, I guess- My husband has, a, he has, he has perfected the like- Zen, I will describe it as Zen gossip. Like he will share, he likes to share the information. Let's put it out there. But he does not like fret. It doesn't really affect how he feels about those people. He's like, ugh, wouldn't make that choice. And he just moves on. Yeah, that's that's totally where I am. And I just find it to be a much more peaceful place. And so when you and I talk about something, we had a listener comment on the fact that that when you talked about Merrick Garland as a stolen seat, I didn't push back on that. Well, no, because I feel like I said my piece and we just disagree about that. That's okay. I don't have to, like, change your mind or we're, I don't think we're ever trying to win these disputes. And there are some times when I'll just admit, like, my position is probably illogical, but it's still kind of where I am. That's how I feel about the do something sentiment on Syria. As much as I accept everything Glenn Greenwald said, I still feel like I, I'm still in do something space. And that might be right and it might be wrong, but... That, you know, I'm a human being and I have my thoughts on things too. So I don't know. I, I think Megan brought up so many things for me about why do these conversations between us work? And I feel like it's because of some very deep willingnesses that we both possess for the idea that we care a lot about what we believe, but we, we care more about curiosity and connection. I mean, also, we do this twice a week. If we were trying to win, I would be so tired. Oh, my God. And, and there's an Like, when we did that debate, right? I, that stressed me out. I was stressed. <laughs> and and, and I, I do think practice is part of it, right? Like, it just gets easier all the time to hang up and think, well, we're just not in the same place on that one. That's okay. Word. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us for a somewhat long episode of The Briefcase, which is becoming a trend. We'll work on that. Thank you to Amanda for contributing to Pantsuit Politics. And we thank all of our subscribers, but as always, our all-star team of Melissa, Tracy, Tracy, Ashley, Audrey, Christine, Nicolette, Paige, and Sydney. Thank you so much. And Priya. And And Priya. Priya. Sorry, Priya. You too. We appreciate all of you. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on all the social media channels. And we'll be back with you on Tuesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsuit Politics possible, and to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics, or Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and Pantsuit Primers on social media, or you can email us at sarah at or beth at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.